This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Europe, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Like if you were looking at Leinster, you'd be thinking, right, we know where we're going to be going after for sure. In a couple of weeks' time, if you're La Rochelle, I don't think Munster might be have the firepower to do that. But I just I thought I thought that was kind of an interesting wrinkle through the game when everyone kind of singing their praises. But they were a little bit loose in a few aspects. I thought, and you know, the, the selection dilemma is kind of interesting for Leinster, isn't it? Like, it was a big URC weekend for the Irish teams, with three provinces booking their place in the semi-finals. Ulster's season is over, but Connacht march on to face the Stormers in South Africa. While we have another Leinster versus Munster battle to look forward to this Saturday. Welcome to the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you, and I'm delighted to be joined for our chat tonight by Luke Fitzgerald and Jonathan Bradley of the Belfast Telegraph. So, Jonathan, how bleak is it up there? How grim is it after last Friday night? I know we've had John at various points over the season. It hasn't been a smooth season by any means, but to finish it like that in that manner at home when it looked like things had broken nicely with a potential semi-final, what's the state of Ulster rugby now as we sit here today? Yeah, no, I think I was on after the seal, 39-0 as well. So these uh, these appearances all seem to be really well-timed. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it was pretty grim in Ravenhill on Friday night. I think uh, the general consensus from the fans were that it was really just another missed opportunity. You think about how much of the season is geared towards securing home advantage. Like, if you're in a 16-league team, and eight go into the playoffs. So much of your year is dedicated to your seeding, where you're going to get to in the playoffs. So to have the home quarter set up for a home semi and then just not take advantage of that, um, it's just made for, I suppose, a really uh, a really disappointing end of what has been a really strange season in Ulster. Yeah, and even seeing like the CEO take to Twitter to talk about some of the reaction from supporters and the fact that it wasn't even a sellout, which I was very surprised at. Like, you know, we think of Ravenhill as as being a, you know, a very well-supported stadium usually. And the fact that it was a knockout game as well. And there's been talk about morale in the camp. Like it just kind of paints a picture of it that things around the team aren't great generally at the moment. Yeah, I think the sellout thing is interesting because if you look through it, this season, the only time it has sold out is Zebra whenever uh, there were half price tickets. So you would look at that and wonder if that says something more about the pricing model than it says about um, the interest. But you can also look at, I think, that the sort of rugby 
that the team have played this year. Like it's an incredibly stark contrast to go back to that this stage last year, Munster in the quarterfinals when Ulster really tore them apart, just playing some some scintillating rugby. Really, really exciting, uh, exciting game plan through the backs. You know, guys like James Shum, Robert Balakoon, Stuart Moore that day, just all really, really showing up. And then this year, obviously, it's been very, very mall focused. That's been a real sort of talking point in, of the of the entire season, really. And it loomed large again on Friday night when Connor were able to disrupt them all, really deny Ulster access. But in the wider sense, you know what you're talking about, I suppose, in the the mood and the attendance, there has been this sort of theory that the style of play that the team's playing isn't bringing in the punters either. Mm, yeah, and I, I don't want to be too critical on the sellout aspect because I think teams across the board in Ireland, you know, Leinster at the RDS, Munster at Tone Park or other stadiums, like it, it is a difficult to fill every seat in the stadium no matter the game we've seen that across the board generally but as you said there's a lot of factors going on at play there Luke you know you, I know you were covering the game for Premier Sports so you had a kind of a good up close look at, at it like Connor could have won that game by 10-15 points if they hadn't have butchered so many chances that's what was I suppose what, what kind of stood out for me so much is that they were really dominant from start to finish I thought yeah, and we, we chatted about it yesterday, didn't we? It was um a little impromptu podcast. Yeah, when I when I passed you on the way, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> on the way home. Didn't offer you a lift actually. Um felt bad about I felt felt a little bit bad about that afterwards. But <laughs> I was out for a while. Uh, no, it was, it was, it was nice to to chat through with it because it was it was funny, wasn't it? I mean, I, I just watching the game and I was watching with um with, with Connor Morris and, and Dan Levy, we just couldn't believe how home team in a in a in a in a quarter final at home got so badly beaten up like you know I look I, I don't think we ever thought that that Ulster pack was going to be you know completely dominant possibly we thought that maybe at mall time thought we might you know it might balance out at scrum time because Connacht do have a very good scrum but around the pitch I, I just couldn't believe you know they looked kind of flat to me uh, and Connacht just looked really up for it I mean their body height their urgency around the breakdown in terms of you know when to commit and when not to commit um, you know, they just had Ulster at sixes and sevens there, and they really looked lost for, for large periods of the game. And, um, you know, I, I talk about Ulster a lot, and I, and I always say, you know, I think they miss an out-and-out fetcher, but what they also miss is a few out-and-out carriers. I thought Vermeulen might have filled that hole, but he doesn't really. Tim and he does to a certain extent. But without Henderson, you know, they just look a little bit um, bereft of those kind of attacking threats. When you looked at, at, at the Leinster pack, for example, and how they can kind of, like the pack make a, a huge amount of clean line breaks and they consistently get over the game. I don't want to keep comparing teams to Leinster, but they are the kind of standard bearer. And if you look at Ulster in contrast, you know, if they don't have Henderson, if they don't have a few guys, um, you know, operating at an unbelievably high level, I just feel like they look, they don't really have those kind of attacking threats that really allow Billy Burns to, to release that back line. Um, and the threats that they have there. So I, I just felt like that was how the game played out. I thought Connor completely dominated the, the, the breakdown. I thought they were more aggressive in the tackle. Um, and I thought Ulster just got no go for it until really towards the end of the game when Connor looked like they were tiring and possibly panicking a little bit from not having taken advantage of some of the opportunities that they had early in the game. Um, but it could have been way uglier for Ulster. And that was probably the worrying aspect of things. Um and they looked a little bit toothless, as I mentioned. So that that's they're the kind of concerns. At least I think when I think about Ulster, look mentally, I think there's there's 
there's there's an issue there. But I do think that is one of the biggest issues for this pack is, you know, what 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 are they like in in open play when when it's kind of unstructured? Can they break a team down? Can they get continuous momentum if it's not from a box kick and get themselves into the opposition half from? say 60 meters to kind of, you know, that's 60 meters to kind of 40 meters, the two tens, are they dangerous around there? Can they put themselves in position or put their back line in position, you know, to have, you know, a two man, um, you know, a, a two man overlap or whatever, you know, they, they don't seem to be able to generate these opportunities for them. The Ulster backs seem to have to rely on, say the likes of McCluskey to do these things through an offload. Um, so that's, that's the kind of concern for, for me, Will, but I think it is quite apparent what the issues are at Ulster. It's just whether they can now attract the right people to the project. And I think Dan has been reasonably good at that. I think Kitsoff is a good addition, but there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and I think where, where Dan might come under a little bit of pressure, in my opinion, is, you know, obviously this result is really, really disappointing and the Ulster fans will be will be angry about this one, I think, as will the players. Um, but I think, you know, it's the mental lapse in the middle of the season that kind of seemed to feed through. They kind of arrested the decline a little bit towards the end of the season, but really they looked a little bit shook, didn't they, after that kind of period of four or five games where um, they managed to crawl through uh, in the sports ground, but it was really, you know, nearly threw that one away as well. Um, so, so that's where he might come under a little bit of pressure, Will. I think, uh, you know, they can probably fix, well, I, I think that it, it's fixable in terms of getting a few personnel changes into that pack. I think that could change things for them quite drastically, actually. Um but it's whether they, they feel like he's the right man to take them forward from a mental aspect. Um, because that was really flat on the weekend for a home quarterfinal. Yeah, Dave Ewers is another guy they brought in from Exeter who is a big, beefy ball carrier, to be fair to anyone who's seen him play in the Premiership. So interesting to see if he can maybe fill that uh, gap a little bit. Jonathan, it, it, what is Dan McFarlane's future? I know he has a contract for another two seasons, but is, is he definitely coming back next year, would you say, based on how the season has kind of finished and, as Luke mentioned, some of the issues that have cropped up this year? I think it would be a massive, massive shock if he didn't. You know, regardless of, I suppose... The the upset from fans and whether people think that um, he's taken the team as far as he can, and that is some of the things that people are saying. Like in this financial climate, you're not going to pay off two years of a contract. It's just not going to happen. Like not when you've lost seven on the ground from not being able to host La Rochelle in December. Not when you've got a a new playing surface to pay for. Not when you've lost one central contract. Not when you've got Stephen Kitchoff coming onto the wage bill. You know, the uh, the finances just aren't going to be there. I think, in a wider sense, and look, Connor may be even a good example of this. You know, like they weren't as good last year. I know Andy Friend is leaving this year, but you know they took something of a backward step last year, and now are in the semifinals and have qualified for the Champions Cup again. So there is, I suppose, a precedent if you look around the league of teams having a down season and then returning to their level the year after. And I think given what McFarland did when he first came in, I think he's earned the right to have that opportunity to try and get them back on track. I think this season is much more of a stalling of the momentum than they've said publicly. I think, especially on Friday, maybe understandably given how uh, 
how close it was after the final whistle, but they were very, very focused on, you know, the breakdown, how many penalties they gave away and weren't really willing to be drawn on the overarching season, the problems that have been going on sort of since since December, really, that Luke mentioned, you know, results improved, but did they ever really get out of that uh get out of that rut? Did they ever really restore the confidence? And instead it was very much a focus on, I suppose, they're looking at, you know, 80 minutes that just didn't go right against Connacht. And I think they really need to go away this summer. And it's going to be a really, really long off season for a lot of those players that aren't involved in the World Cup. And you can't see that many of them being involved in the World Cup the way this season's gone. So for those players and the organization as a whole, I really think they need to go away and look at what went wrong this season, what's gone wrong in the last six months and take that into next season. You know, don't park it, don't say we've taken take our learnings from it and then view next season in isolation. Like you really have to learn the lessons of what's happened over the last couple of months, I think. Yeah, and what about the future of Ian Henderson? I know I was reading your article kind of, uh, I think it was yesterday's piece, and you kind of referred to the fact that it hasn't been announced. Like, do we know, is, is he staying at Ulster for sure? Or has it been kind of agreed but not announced? Are they still negotiating? I know you mentioned that he's doing potentially negotiations with the IRFU rather than Ulster, but it's very strange that we've gotten to this stage of the season and Ulster's key man, the captain, their talisman. We don't know where his future lies. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like about... I would say about a month ago now, I was told that it was very nearly done. It was moving towards its conclusion. And there wasn't really that much concern that he was going to leave, that um, certainly the Toulouse rumour had no basis really in fact, and that there were offers from elsewhere, but that he wasn't really considering them. But you know, the very fact that we're here on the 9th of May, Ulster season is over. Um, their captain has no confirmation of his contract for next year is bizarre. Would that not lead you? Would that would that not lead you to kind of believe that maybe he's like, if there really was a genuine other option on the table, you know, he'd have they'd have they'd have wanted a decision at this stage too. Like it sounds to me like there's only one option really left on the table, no, uh, and it, and it's probably not signed because. It's not a. It's not going to be the same money as he was on before. Like he's kind of aging. His injury profile throughout his career has like he's had awful luck. Um, you know, and and he, look, there's no doubting his ability. Like he's a brilliant rugby player. Um, and he is has been talismanic on occasion for for Ulster. But you know that that area is certainly an issue for them. You know, like I I, I have a lot of time for for Alan O'Connor. You know, he's very honest. Um. You know, workmanlike. You know, very physical at times, but I do think you need a bit more there. Um, you know, I I just think you need a bit more. Like I, you need a carrier, and you also need someone who's going to be there probably a bit more consistently. Who's who's just a little bit better than what they have. Um, you know, and and, and yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about that. And I just thought as well, you thought you, you think of Carter as well. Like he's been a real like I, I did not understand that that when, when that was made. I thought he'd be a little bit better than he's proved to be, but he's been an issue as well. And you know, and I think I'd never say that. Like I, I think they need to keep Henderson there because I think there's a connect. You need to have some local players. He's a he's a big you know he's a big name around around Ulster, and he's been there for a very long period of time. And he would bring names or he would bring bodies through the gates up in the Kingspan. 
you know, people will want to come and support one of their own there. And he, and he's very important for this team. But certainly, I do think they need another piece there. Um, you know, you look at, say, the like of Jenkins and what he's added to, to Leinster. Now, they've also had Baird, who's, who's really come into kind of, uh, he seems to be coming into fruition in terms of his career, um, you know, and, and his trajectory. But they need something like that. They need a player that's going to be a stalwart, that's going to be, you know, that's going to add something to them, that can be a carrier and that can probably call a line out for them as well. Um, that is definitely an area where I think they they could do with some some bulking up. But it's a really interesting thing with that it, that it's come down to the wire like this. Uh, I believe that the 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 powers that be will, will will recognize that you know Ulster are going through probably a little bit of a difficult period right now, and I think the last thing they need is to lose someone like Henderson. It's just not a good look for them, even though if on paper. You know, most of his rugby gets played for Ireland, really, and he hasn't been around for for quite a while at Ulster, really. Um, and they may need to also, you know, open up the coffers and spend on on, on a real top quality operator in there um, who can maybe do a bit of carrying for them, be a bit of a bit, a bit of a be a kind of dominant force in there. Um, so yeah, no, it's a very interesting. It's good to hear your your opinion on it, on it, Johnson. You know, I mean, you know, is is there is there a little bit of worry at this stage? Do you think, or, or do you feel like they just have to get. They'll have to get it done based on those I, factors. I, I think they absolutely have to get it done. Like if you look at one, even just the optics of the way this season went, and Ian Henderson, I think, is maybe even a little bit underappreciated in Ulster. I don't really know why. It could just be um, something to do with his nature. He's a very understated guy. But you know, we're talking about a two-time lion. We're talking about, you know, I've mentioned this before in the podcast, the only forward that has come through, born within Ulster, gone through the Ulster school system and gone on to play for Ireland in 11 years. Like, that's how rare Ian Henderson is around here, you know? You're talking about the leadership aspect that he brings to things. And I think the point that you make a look about his carrying is really, really important because they look so much less powerful without him. Like, Kitchoff and years will probably offset that to some degree and help McCluskey out in terms of the, uh, I suppose, the focus that's put on him when people know he's going to be the only carrier. But I just think he's such an important piece for Ulster, almost regardless of how often he plays. He's only played seven times this year, obviously, because of uh, various injuries. But the optics of the way this season's gone, to lose your best player, to lose your captain to lose your one of your I suppose most decorated homegrown talents in a generation and also just he's the only centrally contacted player they have you know it there's been an awful lot of debate about what Ulster are contributing to the the national team if they were to go in post World Cup without even a central contract you know I think that would be another huge indictment on uh on the pathways yeah, and, and as well, we probably didn't mention, it's probably worth mentioning, um, Will, like losing your two, to- you know, like losing O'Toole and losing um, Marty Moore, like that had a major impact on the game. You saw what Finley Bealham did uh, to, to, to that scrum. So there, there's a couple of things that there are mitigating factors here, but you should still, they should, you really feel like an Ulster team should have enough to get the job done uh, on, on the weekend. But yeah, look, that's, that's, I think they do need to get the Henderson thing done and sorted. Um, you know, you don't want to have that kind of, it's kind of unsettling for the group as well. Um, and it's just kind of compounds maybe, a, you know, a disappointing end to the season 
something like that could give them a lift and provide a little bit of stability for them going forward. So, um, yeah, hopefully they do get it done. You, you'd hate to see, a, a, you know, homegrown talent like that. And he is certainly talented, but despite the injury profile, um, you'd hate to see that leave these coasts. It's just, it's, it shouldn't happen. And Jonathan, as bad as it was for Ulster on Friday night, it was, it was a magnificent victory for Connacht, the high point of Andy Friend's reign. He gets to extend it by at least one more week. Tough task to beat the Stormers down there, but they've, you know, they were well worth it. You know, what, what a, what a kind of great kind of period for them to, you know, considering the start they had to the season with the fixture list they had because of the, the sports ground being unavailable to kind of rebound, get Champions Cup qualification and also get a good seeding because they've progressed to the semifinals. That's how the seeding is done. Like they'll be seeded ahead of Ulster now when the draw is made whenever over the summer. So a lot of kind of positives to come and, you know, kind of maybe not a free shot, but there'll be massive underdogs. It's a great opportunity to go down there with maybe a little bit of freedom. Yeah, I think they'll be definitely saying it was a free shot because Andy Ferrand was very keen to say last week was a free shot, even though afterwards he admitted that he was maybe just taking advantage of the opportunity to keep the pressure on the opposition. But Connacht have been really, really good since uh, since January. You look at the results, like Leinster and Glasgow are the two teams that beaten them prior to the weekend, obviously. Nobody was beating uh, Glasgow over there either. So um, they played really, really well. and. So much, I suppose, in the aftermath has been about Ulster, given that their season's over. But like Connacht came up with a plan. They were very open afterwards about what their plan had been. They were going to target Ulster's rucks out wide because they didn't think that Ulster resourced them well enough, and that proved to be the case. And they were going to deny Ulster access to uh, to their 22 so that Ulster couldn't get them all going. And they did that really, really well. Like, I think what you said at the start, Will, is absolutely bang on. Like, Connacht would have been good value to be two, three scores up after an hour. And I don't think anybody could have had any complaints about it. It is, as you say, going to be a massive, massive ask going to Cape Town. I think they were flying out today, I think, um, going over there to the reigning champions and trying to get a result. But, like, at this stage, having already won away, in the quarterfinals, they are pretty much playing with house money. Yeah, like, Luke, Andy Friend is leaving Connacht, I think, in a really good place for, I know Pete Wilkins is being promoted from within, but, you know, there's, there's a kind of a good homegrown group of players that have come up, young guys that have played for the 20s in recent years. There's a cohort of guys, both from Connacht and a few guys brought in from other provinces. Obviously, I think Santiago Cordero is coming in next year from, you know, the Argentinian winger, who's a very exciting player, so they'll have a bit of X factor too. It just seems like, you know, you know, and it's sort of a game to play, so that and they might win and might go on to a final. But you know, even if the season stops then at the weekend, I think he's left him in a brilliant place, and he's done. I think he's done a very good job over the last four years, considering they're always going to have the lowest budget in Irish rugby. They're always going to be fighting against you know teams with bigger budgets, bigger resources. I think he's got about as much out of that team as he could have. I look. I think he's been brilliant, hasn't he? Um, it's a really difficult job there, and um, I think he's kept. He always pitches up in front of the media, I think, and gives a, a fairly honest, uh, you know, review of what's happened. Um, and, uh, you know, he seems like a real pre- people person. Um, you know, they all seem to really want to play for him. And, you know, they talked about kind of sending him off, um, you know, the right way. And they, they've certainly done that. They were brilliant value for it. I, like, I think where, you know, the, the it, it oftentimes we talked about maybe their execution. And certainly the Farrell one was, was pretty shocking. But leaving that aside... 
it can all, it can be really hard when you're focusing so much on the physical side of the game. Sometimes the defter touches can be difficult to execute. Will you know you're so focused and just kind of beating the opposition up, and and they really beat Ulster up for large periods of that game. Um, and they defended brilliantly. Like I mean, they're they're mall. I mean, they talked about not giving them access, but even when Ulster did have access. Um, I thought they stopped it brilliantly well, you know, and it was a Carty missed tackle really, um, you know, for the Moore try um, that, you know, so, so like they could have stopped that one as well, you know. So look, I thought they they were absolutely brilliant and I was absolutely, I was just so pleased for them that they delivered such a big performance um, when it really counted. And, and I thought that back row, I mean, that back row was out standing on the weekend. I just thought they, like every ball was kind of slow and messy. I thought they were, look, they played on the edge at times, but I thought they managed the referee quite quite well at times, even though I thought he was, look, rugby is so difficult, but I thought he was, some of his interpretations were quite poor for both teams, actually. I thought it was kind of honours even in the end in that respect, but I thought they managed that really well. Uh, The physicality, I just thought it was the defter touches that maybe let them down on the day. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of performance they can produce. I mean, I would imagine that emptied the tanks up there. You could see them all throwing the arms up in the air at the end. Like, I, we actually roared in the studio at the end because it was such a nail-biter of a finish, wasn't it? Um, and they did make it a bit more difficult than they probably needed to. But uh, it was really, really pleasing. I think he's done a brilliant job. And, you know, great expression there from, from Jonathan. You know, he is kind of playing with, with, with house money at this stage. So I, they should really go and give it a good bash. Um, and I hope they really give a good account of themselves. I, I feel like they might come up just a little bit short. Um, let's hope they, they can produce the same thing again. They're not exhausted from the travel and all the effort expended in, in uh, Ravenhill. Yeah, Jonathan, the other semi-final, obviously Leinster versus Munster then. A, a familiar clash at, at that stage of the tournament. We had it a couple of years in a row in, in the Owen van Gran era. You know, big ass for Munster after getting that great victory, but to lose the amount of players they did, it's about, I think it's probably the most combative game I've seen since that, uh, Lions test, Luke, that you played on in terms of players just dropping with, with key injuries and, and being, uh, you know, ruled out. Like Munster losing four guys to head injuries. They've all been ruled out. Peter Armani, I think, is touch and go. I'd say maybe it's unlikely that he features as well. So it's a huge ask, Jonathan, on Saturday to, for them to topple Lancer. Yeah, you know, I think whenever you see like Peter Armani going off after a couple of minutes and then it just sort of spiraled from there, like it was, uh, it was incredible to watch, like really crazy stuff, I think. But, um, I think you have to give them an awful lot of credit for going over to Glasgow. As I said, they're talking about Connacht. Like, that's not a ground where people have gone to win. I understand that obviously Glasgow had the red card and that did change the game. But I think it's a real, in stark contrast to Ulster, it's a real positive that Munster can take of how their season's end, of whatever about, uh, I suppose, how it started. They built pretty well through the campaign in terms of getting results post-November to get up to where they were in the league. Glasgow looked like it was going to be a tough game. I don't think it would have surprised anyone if their season had come to an end there. So I think to still be playing this week is massive in and of itself. Regardless, Leinster are going to be big, big favourites. I think I saw they were installed as 14-point favourites already to start. So that's... Obviously massive in a two-horse race, but even before you take the injuries into consideration as well. But, you know, I think Leinster have said that they're going to rotate a little bit more, having done so again at the weekend. So there is something of an opening. I'm almost loath to say it, but there's something of an opening 
given how much of Leinster's focus will naturally be on the Champions Cup final. But yeah, you really would yeah, just... It would be a different proposition, I think, if Munster were coming in with a cleaner bill of health after the weekend. Yeah, like to lose Fekatoa, Luke, it's like we were talking about this yesterday. It's like rotten luck for Munster. You know, they get absolutely lambasted for signing him when he is underperforming. He signs to go to Benetton. Then he's playing like really, really good rugby, the kind of rugby you would have hoped for from an all-black centre. And he's already out the door. Like, I just, they just can't get a break when it comes to overseas signings, I feel, sometimes. Ah, uh, listen. Yeah, it was. It, I was. I was disappointed for them. But look, I think it was, you know, in the context of their season and, and where they've where they kind of began. I, I really feel like they made a huge amount of progress so far. Um, I, I just think, look, Leinster. I mean, like even though they rotated, like I, I voiced some concern about maybe them rotating against some of their players against the Sharks, like. You know, look, there was there were times look there was a few opportunities for the Sharks at different points, you know, but ah, Leinster just had too much for them, you know. The once there's one yellow card, they just walk through them, you know. But the rotation maybe does present some uh, some opportunity, but I just think the the you think of the bodies that are missing, um, you know, they they will impact Munster, you know. And it was very disappointing. I mean, the Conor Murray, um, you know, that's that's gonna be uh, you know, a tough one. He's come into some serious form at the right time. Um, the Omani one we're not as sure about I think it sounds like it's an elbow um, but we don't know if he'll be available Like if, if they can get someone like him back you know that could be big for them but I, I just feel like Leinster you just you look at all the the power that Leinster were able to bring off the bench even um, you know just to, to kind of close things out um, I just think they'll have too much I think Munster at this stage of their development need to be playing from or picking from a full deck and I think that um, you know I thought defensively they were excellent, Will, on the weekend, uh, but they did miss a lot of tackles as well. Now, I know that kind of happens when you're pushing people back inside, when you're really pressing hard, but they still missed just a little bit too much for my liking on the weekend. And I think against Leinster, I think they'll get punished a bit more badly for that than they will against... Like, Glasgow have played excellent, um, you know, and have been, you know, they've been very good, particularly the second half of the season. But... um, Leinster will have, Leinster will punish them for those kind of missed tackles, and I think they'll need to improve that. And without those bodies there, organizing things, you think like I think Murray plays a big part in any team he plays in from a defensive perspective. Um, you know, he's really good organizer. He's an extra man at the end, uh, over line at times. He reads kicks and behinds really, really well. Um, I think they'll miss the likes of him. I think will so. Um, I think it's a brilliant, you know, that they've got to a semi-final, I think is a brilliant result for them uh, from where they started, but I just think they won't have enough. Um, but they can be really pleased about, like I thought they, 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 the, the pressure from Glasgow at the start of the match, they weathered that so, so well. I was really, like, when they dug in close to the line on a couple of occasions, got some kind of key calls and some key turnovers, I thought that gave them a huge lift. And when, when they got their opportunities, they were very, very clinical. I mean, they were physical with the ball on hand. I mean, the two tries, they looked like they kind of bullied Glasgow. Um, so I think they can be really pleased with lots of parts of the game. But in relation to, to, to this weekend, I just don't know if they'll have enough with those bodies. I just think they need, they need everyone on, on, on hand to be able to beat or even come close to Leinster at this stage. Yeah, and Fekatoa played a huge part, you know, in that first try, as you mentioned, after that scramble defence, he made that big hit in midfield to force a turnover and then got on the end of the of the play to, to score. And Conor Murray, I agree, is a huge loss. He's come into some really good form in South Africa in those two matches. He was brilliant. And Craig Casey, who started that Champions Cup game in South Africa, didn't have a great game that day. I know the breakdown was very sloppy and, you know, it was tough for a scrum half, but he'll need to be, uh, you know, a good bit better against Leinster if, if they're going to spring an upset 
Jonathan, from a Leinster perspective, like what, what team do you think Leo Cullen should pick? Like we've been debating this kind of a good bit over the last few weeks going into the various fixtures. Now that we're kind of just one week before the, the Champions Cup final, do you expect to be a, a broadly similar team to what faced the Sharks in terms of experience and star power? Or do you think there could be even more guys held back in reserve to maybe keep them a bit fresher and running the risk of, of maybe losing a game? I think it probably go broadly similar. And I think one of the things that Leo Cullen has been really, really good at throughout his tenure is getting these kind of decisions right. Whether it be a sort of early season game in October or whether it be coming down to the business end, he just seems to manage his squad so well. You know, you look at guys like, I suppose... Reese Ruddock would be a prime example, Max Deegan and other, like getting these guys enough rugby, just enough rugby so that they can come into these games and still perform well. But the balance of the team just seems to be, he just seems to get it right week after week after week. And I know people look at it and say, oh, it's easy when you've got so many good players, but it's not a particularly straightforward thing to get right. And I think we've seen that at other teams this year as well, how difficult that can be to get that balance right. I think looking at the game, you know, you look at the Sharks game, I don't know how tested they really were. So in terms of, I suppose, fatigue, attrition, whenever you look at the way the Munster are coming into the game, I think Leo Cullen will probably feel an awful lot better in terms of what he's got available to him, but also just the fact that, again, they've just shown that they don't have to be at their top level to beat what should theoretically be a fairly decent team. I know the Sharks are missing players coming over, and they're such a hit-and-miss team in general. Like It'll be really interesting to see what the coaching changes there, what differences they make next year. But I was pretty disappointed with the Sharks again. But I think Leinster will be confident of having enough to get the job done without, I suppose, their frontline Champions Cup team as well. But equally, I think we'll see, you know, I don't think we're going to see, as we have done in some previous uh, years, a fully rotated team by any means, because you don't want to give those guys too long off so that they're then rusty going into the, into the Champions Cup final either. Yeah, the Sharks are a funny one. Like you see them play against Munster in the Champions Cup, they look like you know the best club team in the world. And I know the South African teams at home are a different animal, but even in the first fifty-five minutes, the following week against Toulouse, or you know they they looked irresistible as well. And then sometimes you see them play and they just turn in these abject performances. Like even they lost to the Scarlets away just before the end of the regular season with the full strength team. This is when it's about the Khaleesi. I think we're still fit. And that kind of really you know hit them hard in terms of Champions Cup qualification. They won't be involved next year, albeit. You know, the Welsh team coming in ahead of them since they finished eight is tough on them. But over the course of the season, they definitely didn't do enough. As you said, a new head coach in next year. Be interesting uh, to see how that goes. I mean, they're probably the most disappointing team, I think. They're the most disappointing team, I think, if you look at, Mm. I suppose, the personnel. They have the most star quality. Star quality. Yeah. No, it was disappointing. Look, from Lancer's perspective, it, it was quite interesting. You know, I think the only real kind of weakness that you could see was maybe at times they were a little bit loose defensively. You you know, I've been kind of moaning about that a little bit with Lenser, trying to pick something out that maybe the likes of a La Rochelle can take advantage of. Uh, the scrum as well was was a little bit concerning. Um, now, I know there was a bit of chopping and changing, like the Keen Healy in a tight head at one point, and then they brought Porter in. That seemed to 
kind of you know uh, sort that out but i think that the sharks personnel had changed over at that stage i kind of felt like that was maybe an opportunity missed for for that front row now maybe you don't come across a challenge like them and i think the la rochelle pack i think propose a very different challenge um in terms of the, maybe the shapes that you're coming up against like the, the, those shark guys seem to be like quite like squatty and wide whereas i think you know there's some huge men in that la rochelle pack but I was kind of a bit disappointed. I thought it might be a good opportunity to get that front, that the whole front row in, Will and, and John. I don't know what you think about this against a really testing Sharks, you know, uh, scrum, um, just to, to like a bit of a almost a hit out in advance of that uh, of the La Rochelle challenge, which would be massive. You, like if you were looking at Leinster, you'd be thinking, right, well, we're, we know where we're going to be going after for sure. Um, in a couple of weeks' time, if you're La Rochelle, I, I don't think I don't think Munster might be have the firepower to do that. But I just I thought I thought that was kind of an interesting wrinkle through the game when everyone like Leinster's you know were kind of singing their praises, but they were a little bit loose in a few aspects. I thought, and um, they did look you know the, the Sharks did on on occasion open them up. Um, but look, I just think there is you know the, the selection dilemma is kind of interesting for Leinster, isn't it? Like I thought another thing from a selection perspective that was interesting was how good Caelan Doris was at eight. Like, what do you do with, the, like, uh, he seems to be a completely different player at eight. Um, and I, I can't make head nor tail because I think you have to pick Conan. Like, he's got, he's got a, a really great problem. But, uh, you know, the other thing I'd say is, you know, Baird in the row, like, he was just, he's just not as effective. You just take away some of his, all those kind of athletic abilities, that power that he has, that special power um, that he seems to be able to have at six. Like, you just wonder what the best balance in that back row is. Now, look, whatever happens, I think they'll be able to adjust and they'll have some brilliant firepower off the bench. But what is the best combination there? Um, that is a really interesting conversation to, to have. Because Caelan Doris, to me, has been one of Ireland's standout players whenever he's been on the pitch, um, particularly when he plays at eight. So there is a few little selection things that'll be interesting to see. I wonder, what will he make a change this week? He talked about, obviously, rotating quite a few, but... Um, at some point, you do want to give guys and combinations hit outs together, um, particularly in advance of a La Rochelle team that will, yes, have a heavier workload and probably more pressure in the, at this part of the season um, than the likes of Leinster will have. But they'll be playing together more often as well. You know what I mean? So you kind of build that trust and that you know the, in the in the the white heat of, of of a match, they'll be a little bit more battle hardened maybe than this Leinster team who maybe haven't won't like if you're rotating a bit much. So I'll be interested to see if that bites them in, in, in the Champions Cup. I think they'll have too much this weekend, even with the rotations for, for, for Munster. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, weather dependent, it could, it could be an ugly enough scoreline, I think, uh, if the weather's good. I mean, they're just so dangerous out wide, aren't they? Um, and they look like they can cut you up from anywhere. Um, and the ball playing ability, like even the guys who can, you know, who are, who might be on the bench this weekend, um, you know, there were some brilliant performances from some of those guys and, and some of the touches. I mean, I thought I, what was very pleasing was Harry Byrne looked excellent at times and he looked like he was his tackling was pretty good too. But some of his ball handling, you know, the, the kind of basketball type passes over the top of tacklers, the little uh, the little pop behind for the before it went to Carney for the chip through for the Gibson Park try. There were some lovely, lovely little handling touches from him. So uh, really good to see him getting back in there, getting some game time. And I think he looks like he's coming into like the, the game time has has done him well, I think, and done him some good. So um, you wouldn't be as worried about the likes of Rothburn maybe going down or getting injured over the next couple of weeks. But, you know, 
that that'll be interesting to see what he does selection wise um, this weekend at ten as well as that kind of eight slot. I, I was wondering, will he, like at some point he's going to have to give Ross maybe sixty minutes, maybe I think, or fifty minutes at least um, before this La Rochelle game, so he's not coming in too cold, you know. So um, yeah, good problems to have, I think. But um, my, you know, I still have some, a few concerns about whether you should be rotating or not at this stage of the season. Yeah, Jonathan, what's your view on the on the number eight? You know, kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a dilemma when you have two guys that good. Like, would you go with them both in the same back row if you're Leo Cullen, or would you keep one in reserve and maybe put Ryan Baird at six and then have an international world class number eight there to come on with you know 25 minutes to go in a Champions Cup final potentially? Yeah, I think especially against a side like La Rochelle, you know, the bench is going to be important. So I agree with what Luke said. I don't think you're getting the best out of Ryan Baird from what we've seen this season if you're playing him in the second row and a smaller sample size, I suppose. But, you know, whenever you look at Caelan Doris even playing for Ireland and how much better he looked at eight so whenever he's moved out to six and again at the weekend, you know, I think I would be sorely tempted to go Baird, Doris, Van der Flyer with Conan held in reserve because so much of the game, and we saw this last year whenever these two two sides met in the final, like it's going to be decided later on. So the bench is going to be massively, massively important. And one of Leinster's real strengths, certainly in comparison to the rest of the ERC, but also throughout Europe, is that depth. So I think in terms of really stacking your bench with impact players, athletic players, abrasive players like Conan, I can really see the logic behind that. Yeah, Luke, you know, we were discussing it the other day as well. Like, you know, the, the bench or the lack kind of thereof in the final last year really was one of the big talking points coming out of it, that they didn't use a whole pile of it or they brought on substitutions with like a minute or two to go. They didn't really trust their bench, Leinster, last year. And I know like putting Cohen on the bench does seem like a bit mad considering the form he's in. But if you have, say, him on the bench, it looks like Jason Jenkins could be in reserve. Ronan Kelleher's back fit again. That gives you some really good, powerful, you know, international class options to change a game if it's slipping away from you or hammer home an advantage that maybe they didn't have quite as much last year. Yeah, and I think as well, like what's interesting is the emergence of Natai at the end of this season. You know, or at the, you know, he's really come into his own the last couple of weeks. So there was talk today of of uh, Henshaw and Lowe both stepping up their recoveries. So all of a sudden, like Leinster could be playing, you know, we talked about, you know, operating, you know, ha- having a full deck. And, and I know we probably should be discussing the Munster match this weekend. I know that. But look, the temptation is to look through that just because I think that's the really intriguing thing that all Irish rugby fans are going to be looking at. Just because Leinster make up so much of the Irish contingent as well. How will they deal with that La Rochelle match? So we're not overlooking Munster or disrespecting. I don't, I hope, I hope not. I hope that's not the feeling. But it is it is interesting to discuss these kind of permutations because I think, look, I do think Leinster will have enough in their squad to win that home match. I know it's not that much of an away fixture for, say, the Munster fans, but it still you know, is probably a slight advantage not having to do any kind of traveling for the Leinster. So at home, with the squad they have, they should have too, and, and Munster's injuries, they just should have too much for, for Munster. But let's revisit maybe these selection dilemmas. Yeah, look, it, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? I, I think... Um, you know, they seem to have last year, you know, bringing guys on for a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there and not being able to have or not trusting them to make an impact in the game. I believe that's completely changed around this year. I think if you look at Leinster's biggest growth, it'll actually have been in that, that at the highest level, 
They look like they've got a really impactful bench. You think of Alalatoa, who's got that experience. I, I'm not sure how highly I rate him, but he's still an international player in that tight head spot. Got he's a big man. You know, you could trust him for the last 25 minutes of of, an, of, of a game. Whereas, you know, there was a period where you're going to say, "Geez, we can't bring Tyke Furlong off, or we're going to have to bring Porter over." Uh, you think of the the power behind Porter with 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 uh, Kean Healy. Um, you know, I think Milne looks like it's still a, a step up for him. He struggled on the weekend, I thought, with maybe some of the interpretations from the referee. But regardless, you know, the Leinster scrum wasn't that good in the weekend. But Keane Healy still at, at loose head prop is still, you know, he's a hundred capper. You know what I mean? Uh, have that experience. Have that. You could trust him to close out a game for you. Uh, and then Kelleher back into the mix with Jenkins or Maloney, whoever they decide to go with. We we did talk about that off air, Will, didn't we? I mean, what, what's the What's the thinking with Jenkins, uh, you know, on the bench? The way Maloney's playing, I think it'd be absolutely criminal to not um, to not pick him for that final. But I don't know what was Jenkins brought in for then, you know? Yeah, Maloney. Um, Maloney's an interesting one because like he was really good in the semi final, just gone. But he was in the semi final last year too, and the final against La Rochelle, he did struggle. So it, it's interesting to see now if they go with him again, can he? make that level or, or you know hit that level again because I didn't think he struggled in the final last year so it's a big that's another big selection call again I don't want to get too bogged down in La Rochelle selection but uh, that, like considering there's another match to come but yeah there's a lot of interesting talking points the the 8-1 the 8-1 is it, it'll be I think it'll be a little bit vexing for them and I'd be worried if they're not a little bit vexed about that one because you know it's just one of those ones you're kind of going Jesus like I wish I just had a clear cut because like I, I think you've got to pick Conan uh, and I think the way they've, the way they've kind of managed Bear since Baird, sorry, since the um, since the Six Nations, they just haven't really played him as much in that six role. Like they played him obviously the, the the Ulster game we saw him, but other than that, he hasn't really regularly been in that six slot, has he? They see they looked in the big games to have picked Conan and and, and Doris. Um, to try and get as many of what they feel as they probably feel like those two players have had an edge on Baird or are playing so brilliantly that they have to pick both of them. But if you think about purely the 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 match against La Rochelle, um, like who gives you that extra little bit? Because I don't think I think himself and Conan seem to be similarly sized, maybe slightly bigger than Doris, uh, or heavier at least. Anyway, they look that way uh, on on the pitch. But you'd love to have that for your scrum, wouldn't you? And for your line out. That's the thing about that Baird might bring you the extra little bit of weight. Um, and the other two guys just seem to play their best rugby at eight, don't they? We've never really seen Conan that much at six. So I think he has to be picked at eight, really, doesn't he? So it's a real conundrum. I, I don't know what's best. I think someone would be hurt. Someone would be really hurt about not being selected. And I think it's going to be Baird because I think when he gets played in that row, it just takes away all his best abilities, doesn't it? I mean, if you're in the row you've kind of got to have that... It's, it seems to be way harder to show those freaky moments of like a 50-meter sprint if you're in this... You know what I mean? It happens every now and then, but that's kind of what Baird is, isn't he? He's like a... He's more a moments guy than, say, someone who's going to be a 20 rooks, a 20 tackle, a 20... You know, he's not going to be that kind of player. He's going to be a huge tackle here, and then maybe, you know, three or four minutes later, he's going to be a massive rook or a big run. Um, whereas I think that you look at James Ryan, for example, or, or even Henderson, for example, they kind of just chunk through the numbers and they're just effective throughout the whole game. I don't think he's that way. I think he's more impactful, um, at, 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 you know, but, you know, has less, uh, less moments. So it, I think he has to be played at six. Uh, six is basically what I'm getting at. I think he hasn't been able to show what he's really great at because he's been played out of position on the weekend. Um, now it's probably to get James Ryan the rest, but. I don't know that that back row selection could be absolutely key to how Leinster survive against that um, that La Rochelle pack, and 
I, I would love to have something in reserve to give you that, that bit of oomph off the bench. And I, I just think you maybe Baird might be better suited to the start of that game when that La Rochelle pack is is kind of not tired, you know. Um, and as well, he obviously gives it the great line-out option. You could talk about it all night, couldn't you? It's 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 such an interesting one. But look, I I know I haven't given anything definitive, but I, I might be like working towards a Baird a Baird at six at this point. I just feel like he might be better suited to the start of that game. A, any thoughts on that, guys? I mean, it's kind of a big call, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a it's a massive call, but like I do think just whenever you know history being instructive, you look at how the Champions Cup final ended last year how much you would have wanted to have a bench that was stacked, as it were. And now, I think, through this Champions Cup campaign, through this ERC campaign, I think Leinster are in a position where they can do that. And it's probably a bit of a mindset shift in terms of, you know, our pack is not necessarily our eight best players, but we're holding... Somebody like Jack Conan, who is, you know, a British lion in reserve because we know that the game is going to come down to these last 20 minutes. And I think it will be one of those ones that Leo Cullen is definitely sort of agonizing over the next couple of weeks. But I can definitely see the logic and I can definitely see the benefit of when you already have guys, you know, like Kelleher coming back, Kane Healy, uh, Toa, maybe Jenkins, you know, just how powerful it would be to have those guys as your five forwards coming off the bench against what is one of the most powerful teams in Europe. And I think as well, what might be interesting, uh, Jonathan, is, and I, Will, you might have a view on this as well, Maloney and, you know, um, Maloney and a Bear or, or, or a, a Doris or a Conan off the bench when the other team is tiring towards the end of the game, when the game has opened up a bit, like that, 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 that could be absolutely vital, you know? And then it, it means, I suppose, if you're picking the other guys, whoever you pick at eight, I don't know. I think that's a really tight call now. But if you pick Baird at six, he gives you the weight in that scrum. And the scrum is a bit of a concern. Like, no matter what we say, that scrum, that La Rochelle scrum is fearsome. Having the extra little bit of bulk on Andrew Porter's left cheek, uh, it, might, it might be the key to just holding up that, that scrum, you know, giving Jameson Gibson Park that extra half a second to get that ball out of there against, you know, what is like serious weight and pressure coming through through your front row. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's how they play that one would probably, I, I'd say how they pick, how they pick that, um, that, that team or, and that bench would be a really, you'll get a really good indication of how you think, how Leinster are thinking about it, whether they're thinking about surviving against the weight in the first 40, 50 minutes and, and, you know, being physical if they pick a Baird and they pick a Jenkins. Um, but if they don't pick those guys and they go with the kind of faster guys, a Maloney maybe and a Doris at six and Conan on the pitch, they might try and say, but you know what? We're just going to play at our pace. We're going to back ourselves to be better than we were the last couple of years and just try and, you know, not get over like bogged down with thinking about how good La Rochelle we're going to try and impose ourselves and our fast pace of play on this team and see if they can keep up with us. But if they go the other way, it might be more a, Mm, let's contain this team a little bit better and maybe you know towards the last 20-30 minutes when they tire maybe we open up a little bit so um, I think it'll be a really good indicator of, of, of how they're thinking about the game um, by who they select on the on the team yeah well I feel like we now have used a boiler material for our preview show next <laughs> week so we might have to look ahead to again you know the World Cup next week instead of talking about the Champions Cup because I feel like we've spent all our good talking points 
But for the moment, I'd like to thank Luke and Jonathan for joining me on this week's show. We have plenty to look forward to this weekend in the URC semifinals. And we'll be back next week with another podcast to look back on those two games and plenty more. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.